Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is the show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. On today's show, we are talking to Kuhn Janssen. He is the co-founder of Hyber. Uh, but before that, hiya, Jack. Hello, David. How? Which time zone are you in now? Uh, uh, what's it? Western time, US? It's half past ten in the morning in Texas at the moment. You are in Texas. Yeehaw! How, have you seen anyone with a cowboy hat on? No, I haven't seen anyone yet. I got in really late last night, came straight to bed. I've been down for breakfast and here we are now recording Tech Talks. You mean you haven't eaten steak? You haven't seen anyone in a cowboy hat and you haven't <laughs> eaten Tex-Mex. I just... Am I even am I, do I, am I even in Texas? Like, I, 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 I might not even be here because I haven't seen any of those things yet. Just disappointing, I have to say. <laughs> not to be stereotypical about these things, you know. but oh, That's not like us to be stereotypical, no. is it? Is Dolly Parton from Texas? No, she's from Tennessee. Oh, right. Never mind. Yeah. You see, yeah. <laughs> highlighting my ignorance there. There you go. Close. Uh, famous Texans. I can't. I don't, uh, Matthew McConaughey. Yes, of course. He's, he's, he's Texan. He's Texan. Outside of that, though, I, I mean, I'm sure there's hundreds. But yeah, I, yeah, I there's really know. Hundreds. Unless, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's loads of them. It's just we're too stupid to remember. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I really can't think of any. Nope. I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna cheat and Google it. All I know off the top of my head no. is Matthew McConaughey. I'm sure there's Is Old Country for No Men set in Texas or is that New Mexico? It's definitely on the border, isn't it? No. It might be it might be Texas, it might be New Mexico. But I'm not like sure. 50, I think there's like fifteen border states or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we no just hi- I'm highlighting ignorance all around. Yeah, we're just further showing our listeners how stupid we are, which yeah. is fine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, we had a listener from Texas as well. I don't know if she still listens, but oh, we Alicia. did our... Yeah, Alicia. Alicia, if you're listening, get in touch with me. I'm in Texas. Yeah, there you go. You can meet up with Jack. Isn't that delightful for you? Isn't that nice for you? Yeah. <laughs> it's quite funny that you've flown to somewhere for, for work. Uh, yeah. Uh, and now we're talking to you on Tech Talks because our interviewee flew to come and record a show with us. All I, I feel utterly kind of floored by that when he told me that... Just for uh, you? That he'd flown across specially for Tech Talks and made it a two-day trip. Wow. Did you miss well, that at the beginning of the interview? No, no, I didn't, I didn't miss it. I just I, I assumed he had something to do here anyway. Yeah, you're, you're, you're probably right, but, you know. Nah, 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 let's go the other way. He came specifically to meet you, Dave. <laughs> yeah, well, to meet, to meet the show. <laughs> to meet the show, exactly. Uh, and there's you, who's got on a plane as well. So I think, I think we should... Um, we should Move into today's interview. As I said, it's with Kuhn. He's the co-founder of Hyber, um, a, an IoT satellite business. So I'll hand over to him. But as ever, afterwards, myself and Jack will have some comment and then later on some news. So today we're talking to Kuhn Janssen. You are the co-founder of Hyber. Indeed. How are you? Pretty good. Thanks for having me today. Over in London for two days. Exactly. And uh, especially to see you today. I, I feel honoured. Um, I'm sorry that it's wet and miserable after it's, it's actually been quite nice up until this point. But Yeah, well, I had a, a good flight. Um, 
weather here is uh, better than anticipated. And, right. Uh, as I mentioned while I walked in, another uh, raindrop has uh, hit me yet. So uh, I'm happy here. The glib remark would be to say, well, you work in the satellite business. Surely you should know what the weather should be. But of course, your satellites don't do anything along those lines. Um, it would be good to, to talk to you, uh, first of all, about who Hiber are and, and what the business does that you founded. Yeah, so Hiber is uh, enabling Internet of Things connectivity. So we uh, make it possible for our customers to uh, send data one way from uh, the communication node, the sensor on the ground to our satellite and then eventually back to a ground station to make sure that they can send simple and short data like, hey, it's me, I'm here and I'm doing okay. The, the perception, the naive perception that you tend to have these days is that everywhere is kind of on the grid. And I know that's not the case because I'll go walking kind of in the English countryside and all of a sudden I'll lose a signal when I go down a valley. But we do have this kind of maybe misconception that a lot of places it's easy to get signal of some kind or another. Mm -hmm. How much of the world is actually connected? Well, to actually start off with me getting here, um, yeah, while going on the train from the airport back to the city, um, I think I uh, had a phone call with uh, five interruptions or so. So there's right. large pieces, even here where everybody thinks, okay, you're near, near to London, this should be good. Yeah. Connectivity is still not available uh, on a constant basis. Um, but looking into that from a global perspective, if you add every telco's network, and combine that into one little thing, you only still cover about 10% of the world. Mm. So our perception, especially in the Western world, uh, we think it's out there, but then unfortunately it's only 10%, yeah. which means um, satellite have to cover the rest of the world as well. So just to kind of bring this to life a bit, you, you said that it's, it's a simple message, hey, here I am, uh, and it's IoT. So I would assume the user cases are logistics, and supply chain, that, that I guess might be wrong, but it would be good just to find out. Yeah, so what we have done till now with the company to, to jump into that part is we launched our satellites and they are now live. So customers can basically jump on the network in a bit. And um, the lovely part is that we see every space of every place on the earth at least once per day. Right. So what we had to start off with is applications that are okay with once per day reading out the sensors. And logistics, although we have plenty of customers in that area and we see it as a focus point, um, they are more looking into tracking devices and therefore need more constant updates on where they are going. Mm. Um, so main applications right now, first of all, is agriculture, reading out soil moisture, helping the crops to, to yield more optimally, and um, basically uh, tank or silo monitoring, just knowing whether your stuff is about to be empty Mm. So for trend analysis, they can see, okay, message, message, message. Okay, we're about to hit the threshold. We should replenish or we should refill. And then third, indeed, is the logistic market or we could say generic uh, asset tracking, just knowing where your stuff is, which is apparently in this world still hard to do today. Now, what I find fascinating about this, so you said that everywhere in the world at the minute kind of comes into range possibly once a day, but you're, you're going to have a situation where you've got uh, nano-satellites flying over the Earth Pole 16 times a day and the equator twice a day. Exactly. You studied um, aerospace initially at university, correct? That's correct, yes. Uh, but before we hit record, you said that when you're at that stage of education, <laughs> you said, I want nothing to do with this industry. And yet, here you are. Yep. So it would be fascinating to know how you've gone from a situation where when you were studying, you thought, this is not what I want to be involved in, became an investment banker, and yet here you are talking about this uh, low-cost solution 
um, for IoT using nanosatellites. Yeah, so the example I gave, I, I graduated from my bachelor degree on sending a nanosatellite all the way to the moon. And that was the first time that would, yeah, would ever be possible. Mm. And we could do it in nine months time. So to follow up on that, we had either... Sorry, just jump in. What year was that? Uh, Roughly. 2010, maybe? 2011-ish. Right, okay. mm -hmm. um, so yeah, nowadays it actually just happened, I think this year or last year. Right, okay. Um, but yeah, we could have done that seven or eight years before that. Um, but then the university said, you know what, let's do a PhD for four years, just the paperwork, and then see what happens after that. Right. So the industry was really at a very slow pace, extremely bureaucratic. And I said, you know what? Hopefully the change that I envision is going to happen. But for now, uh, you know, I, I want to do other stuff. Uh, eventually uh, joined Deutsche Bank, as you uh, mentioned, as an mm -hmm. investment banker. But then uh, after quite some time, I ran into several angel investors. Together with them, we started uh, investing small amounts of money in the space industry. And basically within that year, we started to learn about all the business opportunities that are out there now that these small satellites are no longer a play field, but actually business ready. Mm. Um, so from that perspective, you have the institutional market of uh, space turning into a commercial one. And at the same time, we saw that within Internet of Things, so IoT, uh, the deployments that, you know, IoT has been a buzzword for quite some time. The deployments were now finally happening and we said okay if we can meet up on the junction of those two mm. there's a huge opportunity ahead of us now my assumption would be that this is ludicrously expensive i mean you said that you're studying this in 2010 it's 2019 it's just happened uh, four years of paperwork as a phd suggested by a university but you did say this is a global standard and it's a low-cost solution so i just yeah it'd just be interesting to kind of find out a little bit about how how you are able to offer that and, and also, I suppose, then offer a solution that's scalable and cost-effective for some of the customers that you're dealing with, because you're not talking about massive kind of multi-billion dollar organizations. Oh, exactly. So what we have seen in the past, when it was still an institutional market, one satellite would cost over a billion to actually build, test, and launch. And that has moved into smaller versions of satellites. So mm. our satellite is basically a shoebox sized thing. And because it's so small, the launch costs are extremely lower than it has been before. Right. Um, so basically, of course, we had to do a lot of R&D, but if we would build a manufacture test and then launch the same satellite again, we would be able to do it under 1 million euros. Wow, okay. So, you know, that's a different ball game that we're playing. So, um, I've read various different reports that suggest there'll be kind of 22 billion connected devices by 2020. What opportunities does this open up and where do you see the IoT market going? If you can connect, if only 10% of the world is connecting connected now and the other 90% is kind of within your grasp, what does that mean? Well, um, you have to put things in perspective there because of course, although only 10% is covered, that's where the majority of the devices will end up. Of course. And we always think that we are a complementary service to those kinds of connectivity players. So although maybe on cost and coverage, we can maybe compete with Internet of Things connectivity here on Earth, mm. we usually say, well, if you're within the city, please use the connectivity that's out there already. You know, if you're within a building, go for Wi-Fi, Bluetooth or whatever mm. you have available here. But only if you extend those use cases to the remote and urban areas, 
or you move in and out of those areas, then come to hybrid. And that part is still way big enough to actually uh, build our own constellation for it. And what does that marketplace look like? Because when I think of satellite technology, immediately I think of a firm like Inmarsat, mm. but that's at a completely different scale, right? Yeah, so Inmarsat has uh, several satellites at geostationary positions. That mm. means that the altitude is at 36,000 kilometers away from Earth, and they are stationary. Right. So they uh, rotate or orbit together with the Earth, so you can pinpoint your antennas to one place and always have connection. Our satellites basically fly by with seven kilometers per second, and therefore go from pole to pole and see the Earth 16 times per day. That means that um, yeah, you basically cannot compare us with Immersat. One point, because they are extremely expensive. And on the other hand, um, yeah, they are a traditional uh, satellite operator. So they like their key customers, which you know pay tons of money for the little bit of connectivity that they provide. What I found quite interesting was that of the first 25 customers, many of them would appear to be tech for good projects. Is that something that you guys as a co-founding team kind of hold quite dear? Yeah, so the, the main idea behind Hyber is to have an impact on the world. And that means that because we provide more data, better insights are available, and therefore better decisions can be made for better lives and better livelihoods. However, um, of course, we have uh, quite some um, uh, for good uh, or impactful uh, customers signing up. We also have uh, larger customers um, you know, that are really money-driven as well. So for us, we like to have impact, but uh, yeah, on the other hand, we need to be paid as well, of course. So this might be a naive question, but you're, <laughs> you're based in uh, Amsterdam and Maryland. Is Maryland a, a hub for tech, for this kind of tech? What, I just wondered why it was there. Is it something to do with where you're studying or, or is it a hub for satellite solutions? So um, our team is international, although we are based in Amsterdam, we mm -hmm. have salespeople in Asia, we have salespeople in the US, and actually our general counsel is based in Maryland. Right. And uh, that is pretty close to DC, Washington DC, right. where the FCC is located. So uh, to make sure we have a tight connection there and get market access and everything is approved by what we do, uh, we want our legal team to be close to the FCC as well. Is that a... It's not, it's not an area that I immediately think of as a tech hub, I guess. Does that, is that an advantage or a disadvantage? Obviously, I understand from what you're saying from the legal perspective, but um, I, I suppose you might not have as much competition for talent in the area from a tech perspective. No, so uh, we might open up a sales office in the US as well, which probably will be somewhere in Colorado. Right. Um, because there we see more of our customers being situated. Mm -hmm. um, but because this is a global play, Regulatory is a very heavy element right. of the business that we're trying to run. And you know, having the International Telecom Union, that is a, a United Nations body, uh, where we applied for a frequency application, after you have done everything on a global scale, you still have to go to every country individually to get market access and being allowed to actually send data in and out of the country. Right, I guess, because you're, I don't know how high the satellites are, but I suppose each country has some element of it's yeah. over the past 16 times a day. Yeah, so we see every place of the world at least once mm -hmm. uh, per satellite. And that means that as most of our customers, or at least a large portion of our customers is based in the US, we have to make sure that uh, yeah, we have all licenses in place. So luckily, 
We have our experimental license for the satellites up in place. We have our hardware, so the, the modem and the antennas on the ground actually uh, approved by the FCC as well. So basically we're all, we're all good on that front. So last, last quick one. Um, your LinkedIn profile has hybrid down from June 2016. Was that when you guys launched or when the idea came about? I mean, was That's when we founded the company. That's when you founded the company. Yeah. So it's, it's just under three years old. Uh, you were named last year uh, by Wired as one of the 100 hottest startups. So where are you going from, from here? What's next over the next six months or so? Well, before jumping into that one, I think that there was one week in 2018 which was amazing. So it was not only Wired that said top 100 companies, yeah. but or how to start it, whatever it was. Um, but at the end of November 2018, we had AWS uh, launching us as... Uh, startup of the year while previous companies were Netflix, Airbnb and wow. Pinterest. Okay. A few days later we launched our first satellite and a few days later again we launched the second one. So that, that week was amazing for the company. You, you um, fell back in love with aerospace by the sounds of it. Um, well, I still have both feet on the ground, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fun place to be at. I love what I do. Uh, and towards the future, what we Right now, we are doing the final tweaks and tuning of the network together with our customers yep. before we officially opening it up. And then we're going to see these customers scale to uh, the intentions that they gave us. Mm -hmm. But the next step is basically pushing the network from a once per day to once per hour service. So we need more satellites into our network. Look, it's fascinating. Um, I have to admit, it's an area that I don't know a huge amount about, so it's been, it's been really eye-opening too. But thank you very much for your time. And uh, been a pleasure. Thank you. This is, I, I love this. I love this on this is for, for lots of regards, but in particular, the analogy that he gives that what, when he was first looking at the cost of sending a satellite into space, etc., it would have cost mm. a billion. Yeah. Um, but due to um, the miniaturization of tech, due to the ability to reuse satellites, it's now a million, which is still astronomical uh, numbers, but it's nowhere near a billion. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even know where to start where pricing up how much it would cost to send a satellite. I certainly think a billion is a lot um, and a million is still a lot. But I guess, you know, if it's, if it's of importance to you to, you know, track your assets via satellites, then it, I'm sure it's a relatively low cost to, to ensure that you're maintaining your, your assets. But it's, it's a wonderful mirror to the tech industry as a whole. We know that this technology has existed and we know that mm. other technologies have existed for, for a long time, but it's only as tech as a whole is becoming cheaper and more readily available that it is beginning to make an impact on, on enterprise and working environments in such a, um, a transformative and, and huge way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, tech tech's getting cheaper for for, for for good reasons like this, and I think it's it's an incredible, you know, it's you talk about space exploration and things like that. This is just us, you know, breaking the barrier even even more. I mean, it's not quite as you know landing on the moon, but this is still using tech in a way that probably might have been predicted a long time ago, but not not to this degree of of complexity and. Um, and reporting function, you know, it's, um, we've, we've used satellites for years, but I, you know, would you ever have thought that you could use a satellite to track your, your agriculture, your farming and stuff like that? Probably not. We've all seen the terrible Microsoft AI advert about, um, how, uh, Microsoft AI can really help farmers yield their crops. Yeah. Whatever. That looks like bollocks. This looks like the real deal. <laughs> no, but it's not bollocks. I mean, it is. <laughs> no, but the advert is bollocks. Yeah, the advert's, 
Well, it's, it's an ad. It's going to be a bit wanky. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, but I do find that hilarious, you know, that whole thing about asset tracking, still hard to do. Yeah, it is. Like, you try and find out where your flipping parcel is with DHL in central London, it's hard <laughs> enough. Oh, well, can we get DHL and, and USPS and all them lot to, to, to get in touch with Hiver so we can, we can just track them even more? But it's like That'd your parcel nice. is seven stops away. Is it? Is it really? Then how come it turned up like five hours later? Your parcel will be here between 7am and 7pm. Brilliant. Yeah. What a great window. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, that's a side note. Um, <laughs> connectivity. If you add the connectivity across every telco in the world, still only 10% of the world is online. It's crazy. As, as 5G is launched in London as well. It's, it's, it's a frightening statistic. It is. I suppose it's also, it's this funny thing, right, in my head at the minute. Whilst we're, we're talking about the fact that, um, obviously, there's, there's huge benefits to making sure there's connectivity, asset tracking, etc. And um, the more that we're able to photograph this, the, 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 the Earth from space, the better we understand it. Like, there was that amazing mm. series on the BBC a few weeks ago, The Earth from Space, where we're beginning to make discoveries of whole colonies of penguins we didn't know existed because we're able to take satellite pictures and, and we're able to see how we're affecting coral reefs uh, because of pictures that we're able to, to take from space. Like, you know, technology can make advancements and those advancements can be in turn uh, used positively to help the world and society. But at the same time, mm. surely there's an element of humanity needs to just scale back its influence a little bit. Like, I don't know, there's something, there's something... I want there to be wildernesses where nature is totally undisturbed. I want there to be parts of the world where maybe there's an indigenous population that still hasn't even caught up to the 21st century. Is that really stupid well, of me? No, I think, uh, you know, as a, as a race, us humans are, are curious, right? We're curious to discover everything that's in our world and everything that's outside of it. Um, I love the fact that you really tried to scratch away. Why Maryland? As if, like, like I know Maryland is... <laughs> It's, 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 it's an odd place. Uh, Rosie's been and she said it's a very, very bizarre place. But I mean, I suppose we talk a lot about, you know, partnering with the right VC, partnering with the right chairperson and, you know, finding people that believe in it. And I suppose what was as important to Hiber was the fact that they needed to be close to the FCC. They needed to be close to regulation in order to, to get this off the ground. And I mean, bloody hell, imagine negotiating with every single country about, you know, you want to send these satellites up, they're going to cover the world 16 times a day. I mean, that is just a bureaucratic nightmare, right? Yeah, and it's also, I mean, if we think about the news this week, everyone got very unhappy with Elon Musk for sending up, what, 69 satellites? So there is this thing as well, like, you know, how many satellites should we put up there? And Hyber, by the way, you know, nano satellites and providing a very... Uh, obvious benefit but i suppose there shoebox is this thing size that, as well right they're shoebox who, size who who owns the space around the planet and determines what we do with it like shoebox size satellites that enables asset tracking and has positive benefits uh maybe if you're lost at sea or so i don't know like something like that uh versus elon musk's ego trip but again it's, it's kind I... of on it's unregulated right we need to ask um, someone like Kate Levchuk, um, who owns the space around the Earth. She, she would know, um, but we, we don't. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a complex question. And you know, you'd like to think that everyone's on board because, you know, they're doing, but they're doing it for good reasons, but they're doing it to make money as well, you know. It's, it's that profit with purpose uh, piece again. And I think 
this this could really help business and uh, and companies, especially like where he says where if you're in more rural or urban areas, or you're moving to and from rural or urban areas, then it's it's a good thing. And I think um, regulation we know is slow, uh, but it seems to me like Hyper have, have have got it there eventually after what nine years of his of beginning his sort of dream masters project. And it is a it is a bizarre story, isn't it? I, I love I love where he started when he was at university, mate. He was sending stuff to the moon. Fucking hell, man! I could barely get out of bed at university. Do you know what I mean? This yeah, is, yeah. I just standing. that blew my mind slightly. I thought back to my university days, and I was like, oh, I had a radio show. That was pretty. Oh no, no, it wasn't cool at all. No, I could have sent no, stuff to the moon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I, I used to run an indie night on a Thursday night. That definitely wasn't cool. Definitely not, wasn't cool. It's not sending stuff to the moon, is it? It's not. It's not nowhere near. <laughs> anyway, so look, Gwen, thank you very much for coming to London, uh, specifically for Tech Talks uh, and being <laughs> part of the show. Uh, stick with us afterwards. We'll have some technology news um, and then we'll let Jack uh, get some sleep and catch up on his jet lag. <laughs> Tech Talks are partnering with Alive and Kicking, a charity that set up businesses that manufacture beautiful sports balls across sub-Saharan Africa. Using profits from ball sales and additional fundraising from events like the Hackney Half Marathon, they're able to train sports coaches to deliver vital health education. We're about to hear from Naomi, a coach in Zambia, who's been trained to deliver mental health education to her community. Hello there, this is Coach Naomi from Zambia. I would love to say about Alive and Kicking training, which has helped me to teach my players about like mental health. It has really built my knowledge and they have passed through to my young players in, in the community. I also work with Special Olympics where we deal with children with disability, mentally and physically. I hope and trust that the Alive and Kicking will continue teaching coaches in various parts of the world, not just in Zambia. Thank you very much, Alive and Kicking. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Uh, I don't know whether you've got tech news, so I've got a couple I of have, I have. Oh, you have? Fits, and it fits perfectly with how we just ended that interview, talking what about commitment? Mr. Musk. Yeah, yeah go on. Just, don't worry about that. Um, so, um, following the successful launch of 60 Starlight Links uh, satellite, start. Yeah. Let me say that again. Following the successful launch of 60 Starlight satellites into orbit, it is now revealed that SpaceX is worth more than Tesla. Closed at valuation on Friday at 33.3 billion dollars, and Tesla's market cap at the end of trading day Friday was 32.8 billion dollars. So SpaceX, with their curiosity, um, have become more valuable than, than, or have a higher market share or whatever than Tesla. Yeah, I mean, it is one of those things, isn't it, where I, I just find it, um, like, has either of them actually turned a profit? I don't know. Uh, I could read more. So but what I have to dig into Spotify, but, it's never actually made a profit, and yet it's Europe's biggest. Uh, it's weird, that so, one, isn't so, it? So, I, I converted to Spotify this week, away from Apple Music. Yeah, there you go. Um, but um, Musk has 54% stake in SpaceX and more than 20% in Tesla. I mean, someone could do the maths for us, but this event's worth too much money now. I, you know what I think? I, I find it quite um, disheartening uh, in a way because it says mm. that people are more excited in space, which is great. People are going to be excited yeah. in space, but, but then they are in electric cars that could really help save the planet. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, more interest 
and more value placed in Tesla uh, electric autonomous vehicles than space exploration. Like I, I have always been a big fan, obviously, of, of let's try and have high benchmark targets that push humanity forward. But at the same time, we are fucking up the planet and yep. kind of need to take care of that, guys. Yeah, I mean, I think um, Tesla are looking to open um, a factory in Shanghai to really try and expedite, you know, their, their, their domination in this kind of things. But I don't think anything's going to happen uh, between the US and China at the moment following the Huawei scandal and the trade deal war or whatever it is. Mm. So, I mean, look, Tesla is one, that I think, one of the most important companies around at the moment. And as a SpaceX as well, but like you say, we kind of need to focus on saving this planet first. Yeah. Which I suppose SpaceX are trying to do as well, but we're big on autonomous vehicles, aren't we? We love it. So, yeah, I think I echo you there. Um, very quick bit of news. I've got, I've got two articles for you, but one, one thing as a mention rather than anything else. Um, BBM will finally shut down. Blackbird uh, Messenger? Yeah, as of Friday. Oh. I never had it, but all my friends used to sit there tapping on. I was a bit of a dickhead, actually. I got an iPhone pretty early on. I'd saved up some money and whatever. But a lot of my friends were on BBMs for a long time. And it, it, even as an early iPhone user, I was still jealous of them. I think, um, I think in, no that, in, in that kind of move to, um, you know, the death of SMS and free encrypted messaging platforms, BBM was kind of part of that journey, right? Blackberries was yeah. such a a cultural thing um yeah. it's just amazing that we've kind of something something has been born had a massive cultural impact and and passed all in the space I mean, of what's all in the space of a decade what i what i struggle to understand about blackberry is how they went from being the, the world's business phone right every businessman in the early 2000s had a blackberry right then they kind of pivoted to get into the you know, more B to C rather than B to B, you know, with like people like us and our friends using BBM and stuff like that. And yeah. now, you know, since the iPhone really shot off, I haven't seen a BBM in years or Blackberry in years. Like, honestly, since I've moved to London, I think I've seen one Blackberry and that was of a very old school businessman. So, I mean, make of that what you will, but... I think, I think that's it though. You've, you've, you've hit the nail yeah. on the head there, which is, it was the consumer market. Yeah, um, Blackberries Black is... got given to people by their companies initially, and they had very good uh, integration with Exchange um, mm -hmm. when it was very much, you know, it, it was ripe. They were the right, they had the right platform uh, for business, um, mm. and it, it kind of spread through that. But consumer-wise, it just it just couldn't keep up with the innovation. And very quickly, no. whereas people used to go, "Oh, the physical keyboard's great." You know, I, I love having a physical <laughs> keyboard. Very quickly, people went, nah, I just want a bigger screen. So, I because they were, te let's face it, they were terrible for browsing. It, yeah, I mean, they were rubbish at everything. I, you couldn't even make have a phone conversation on it, right? It was just, no, no, it no, was just. They were good mobiles and they were brilliant for messaging and they were brilliant for, uh, for email, but actual general browsing. And when, I think when mobile switched from being mobile phones to being mm. everything, yeah, they just they just couldn't they couldn't pivot and keep up. I mean, did they even try a buttonless one? Yeah, I mean, by then, by then it gone. Right, fair enough. Yeah, they, I mean, they look, lost. R.I.P. BBM, but 
you know, you, you've got to commend them for trying to pivot into consumers, right? And trying to and gain that market share, but they didn't innovate at any, anything after 2008, really? Yeah, Did yeah. they do anything new after that? I don't think so. I mean, look, if BlackBerry employees are listening, sorry for any offense, but right our wrongs then. Yeah. Anyway, look, I, th I thought that we just mentioned that in passing. It's a reflection again of how quickly the technology industry is moving these days. Mm -hmm. uh, RIP BBM. Um, the other <laughs> bit that I wanted to mention is about a robot dog called Ben. I'm listening. Bionically engineered nursing. Oh, wow! It's like a ther robot therapy dog. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So this is in Digital nice. Trends. Um, an elderly woman named Claudine is slow dancing with a robot. This is a humanoid robot, this one. The humanoid robot's yeah. name is Ben. Uh, okay. bio biologically engineered nursing. Uh, like an embodied version of Siri or Google Assistant, Ben is designed to offer 24-7 help to Claudine whenever she needs it. Ben can bring Claudine her meds, can wake her up in the morning, and if she's sad, it can comfort her by offering solutions like watching TV, which, you know, I hope it's just like, oh, you're not very happy, let's put the telly on. Uh, <laughs> sounds like a marriage with on. no communication. <laughs> um, and you look, there, there are relatively few people to look after people in care homes as uh and 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 vulnerable elderly people who live in their own homes if we think back to the chat with birdie um, yeah. so i just thought this was interesting and yeah there, there is this there is this robot dog as well tombot um mm. which uh and they would also buy there's there's a robot seal paro uh, and a koala now, so there's, there's a whole sound... range of different r robot animals that are helping comfort uh and 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 have physical interaction with 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 elderly people who who did we have on who were, who were monitoring the homes who did you just say well we had birdie didn't we who were offering birdie, yeah, a, so, a, a, a kind of yeah. um, aging with dignity kind of style solution platform now i loved birdie's solution because it was it wasn't in your face it was in the background and it would alert it would alert family members if, if an elderly person had a ball in their home stuff like that and whilst these these you know humanoids or animoids whatever you want to call them are great is it a bit i don't know is it too far we can we can well i i don't know about I, I don't them know, I, I, I don't know about them but just just throw this into the mix because this might kind of answer some of your questions on the surface robots like paro and tombot so the seal and, and the dog aren't all that different from ben the robot which dances with claudine but there is a reason they believe it can be because research has suggested rather than replacing human interaction, the presence of, of a paro robot can actually increase socialization between residents in locations as such as care homes. So it can, for instance, cool. help improve the mood of feeling uh, depressed or withdrawn and therefore make them more likely to interact as a result. I think in that, absolutely, like if Ben was to try yeah, and replace yeah. us in some way, uh, and, and, and kind of like, we're not going to look after the, the elderly. We're just going to lump them off with a robot. That's not good. However, Sorry. if there's a robot dog that makes you less withdrawn, more likely to engage yeah. with other people and therefore improve the overall experience of care, hey, that's, that's, that's brilliant. I, 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 I can't agree more. Um, what, what, um, so let me, just, let me just tell you a story. Uh, an elderly man in my village from home who is just one of, you know, one of those fellas that knocks around the village who you know forever because he's always just knocking around the village walking his dog yeah. now he has had he had that dog for years you know him and his dog grew old together blah 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 i'm not going to get into the story because it gets quite sad but now would the robot dog get on with the real dog 
because I haven't seen a photo of this. In my head, all I can see is like a dog-shaped android. Now, how do they interact with actual dogs? Because I oh, mean, like, yeah. So, so if if you were to go onto this, I'll share it in the show notes. This this yeah. looks remarkably lifelike. Um, <laughs> in fact, you know what I'm going to do? We're going to do a little bit of uh, a little bit of use of technology whilst we're sh- whilst we're chatting and recording WhatsApp the show. WhatsApp it over. <laughs> I'm going to WhatsApp you a picture. Um, here you go. This is this going is up into the satellites. Coming to you right now. Coming to you right now, Jack. Oh my goodness! That okay. doesn't look like a robot at all. No, there you go. That's it. That's oh, I oh that speechless. I this is fucking amazing. I thought it was going to be like some kind of miniature piece of scaffolding and you know mechanics and Lego like roboting around, but it's like a teddy bear. But looks like a lab. It looks like a lab, and it doesn't molt as well. I'm guessing it's not going to shit oh, on the carpet. I'm, no, no. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I might get Haley one. She wants a dog. I might be like, right, it's, it's a robot dog. Uh, See how you do the robot first, yeah. Yeah, don't kill it. <laughs> uh, I guess you might need to charge, but you might need to plug it in to charge it. Anyway, I imagine that you forget to charge it one day and you think it's died. Oh my goodness! Uh, I hope they put the charging dock somewhere, kind of. I hope it just like keeps barking when it needs charging or something because that would <laughs> be quite harrowing for, especially. I mean, I, I, I this might sound like a joke, but it's definitely not. But like. Imagine you know, a lot of elderly people have dementia and Alzheimer's and things like that. Imagine one day you turn around and your robot dog, you, you haven't charged it and you think it's dead. Like that could be really negative impact on the, uh, on the user. But look, that's just me being a depressive weirdo. Let's not think about it like that. This is amazing. Well, look, um, I think we've talked about it as much as we can. If you head over to digitaltrends.com, it's uh, in emerging tech. The promise and pitfalls of using robots to care for the elderly it's an article by luke uh, dormel posted today i'll shove it in the show notes just really interesting shove it in really interesting yeah. anyway jack um look have a wonderful time as you know we're, yes. we're, re- we're replacing you on um not with a robot not with a not with ben i i'm not joe rose coming in yeah <laughs> uh, we've got we've got josie going back to the show for for thursday but yep. uh, have a lovely time in austin and if you don't find someone wearing a cowboy hat, I'm going to be deeply disappointed. I'm asking. I'm well. I'm. I'm going to ask for uh, my company to be refunded. Uh, if we, if I don't see one cowboy out here, I'm not going to be happy, Dave. Your challenge, yeah, you know, to the Tech Talks Twitter, get some selfies with some people in 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 Stetsons or whatever they're called. I'm going to try and find the biggest ten-gallon hat wearer there is, and I will go up to him. Look, Americans, I love them so much because you only need to slightly talk a little bit like this, and they're like, "Oh my God, wow! Let's let's talk all night. Let me let me ask you words to say in your British accent." And yeah, that's how me and Rosie made a lot of friends in New Orleans last year. Okay. So I'm sure I'm sure I'll be fine. See if you can find a famous Texan. Okay, all right, yeah. I mean, look, the the hat's an easier challenge than that, but I will try my utmost. There we go. All right, mate. Well, look, look after yourself. And listeners, we'll be back with you. Uh, well, I will be back with you with Josie on Thursday. Uh-huh.